All right, so tonight um, we are going to kind of continue on our, um, our One Peter journey. But as I've been preparing for this the last couple of weeks, I've just had it really on my heart that there are people in our church community at the moment that are really, really struggling, that there have been people that have been carrying quite a heavy weight where their heart has been broken for certain things. And it might be things that you've been carrying for weeks and months and possibly even years. And I just really felt that tonight that I just wanted to provide an opportunity just to kind of hear what our great God says and thinks about us. And I've been, um, I've been really kind of sitting in uh, Psalm 91 over the last couple of weeks. And I just thought that if that's you tonight and you're really feeling as though that there's, there's a great weight that's within you, that our great God is with you, that He is for you, that He loves you dearly. And, I'm a, and I think that there's something really powerful about Scripture and that how Scripture can, can change the way that we see things and also can change our hearts. So I just wanted to read over, over us tonight just parts of Psalm 91 and I'm reading from the um, Passion Translation So if it's you, if you want to close your eyes or you just want to sit, but if this is you, I just hope that you can hear the heart of God within this for you tonight. And it says this, when you you sit enthroned under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God most high. He is the hope that holds me and the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. He will rescue you from every trap of the enemy and he will protect you from false accusation and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness, a shield keeping you from harm. When we live our lives within the shadow of God most high, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go from defending you or from harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there to keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you have delighted in me as my great lover, I will greatly protect you. I will set you in a high place, safe and secure before my face. I will answer your cry for help every time that you pray and you will find and feel my presence even in your time of pressure pressure and trouble. I will be your glorious hero and give you a feast. You will be satisfied with a full life with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. Father God, I just pray for those of us tonight who are in need of You and Your Holy Spirit working within our hearts. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for those who are really broken and finding things incredibly difficult, Lord God, that Your Spirit would come alongside of them, that You would start to restore their heart. I ask, Lord Jesus, that You would be the hero of their story that more than anything, Lord God, that they will be able to walk in confidence knowing that you are with them and for them. And out of all of this, Lord God, may you be praised and glorified in everything that we do. In your name, amen. So I really believe that this um, whole kind of 
I guess, a message series that we've been doing on 1 Peter has really been about us thinking about what our lives uh, are to be like in a non-Christian kind of context, that we are Christians in a non-Christian world. And I've really been challenged around the fact that we we live in a society now where it's actually looked down upon if you are a follower of Christ. You know, 50 or 60 or so years ago, people were more than happy to kind of align themselves around the values of of Christianity, but that there's been a real shift there. And there's been some language that's been given around that, around what's called like a post-Christian society or a secular society. It doesn't mean that there are no more Christians in post-Christian. It just means that we've kind of moved past that ability to be able to align ourselves in that way. And there's a, there's a really lovely pastor in Melbourne by the name of Mark Sayers. And Mark um, pastors Red Church in Melbourne. And he, he and another um, pastor from Portland, Oregon, um, by the name of John Mark Comer, they've done a lot of kind of uh, research and a lot of information sharing around what does it look like to be a Christian in a non-Christian kind of environment. And they've kind of put together this idea around what the average person or the average Australian might be thinking and feeling. And so... I just wanted to kind of set it up for us around that um, tonight where it says, the average person in the West carries around in their head a a set of assumptions that are culturally embodied. Assumptions such as the idea that spirituality is preferable to organised religion, that love is a feeling, not a discipline, that if something is mundane, it must be boring, that individual freedom trumps the collective, that travel broadens the mind, or that we can do what we like as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And I don't know about you, but for me, that kind of really frames what a lot of people that I know who don't yet know Jesus kind of talk about, how they kind of live their life, that this is kind of the way that they see things. And the challenge for us as followers of Christ is that we are stepping into our workplaces, into our schools, into our unis, into life with these kind of things kind of going on for everyone else. And it's our responsibility as followers of Christ to step into those places with a revelation and an understanding of what it truly is to be like Christ. You see, Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter to the church in in Asia Minor, or which is what we know as modern day kind of Turkey today. And they were under great attack for their faith. They were being treated so badly and his letter was to encourage them to stand resolved amongst the difficulty and to encourage them in their faith. And already in this series, we've looked at some really tough topics and tonight is was really no different, but we've looked at holiness and submission, suffering and leadership. And really all of those kind of areas are encouraging us to take stock of our lives and where we're going to walk towards. I'm so glad Jack's here tonight. My goodness, yeah. And I, I can see my friend Eliana up the back too. So it's nice to see you tonight. I've, I've missed you in small group. We, it hasn't been the same without you. But what I'm just going to do tonight is I'm just going to read to you uh, the verses of 1 Peter 4, just before we kind of step into it, if that's okay to kind of set the scene. I I actually have to admit, just before I start this morning, I was whinging about doing kids' connections. I'm really sorry, Nick, but I was. But I actually really like seeing the kids tonight. All right, so 1 Peter 4, if you've got it on your phone or it'll be on the screen or if you're old school like Candace was this morning, you might have a Bible. Here we go. 
Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude of Christ, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason that the gospel was preached even though, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regards to the spirit." The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind that you might pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, in chapter 3, we were encouraged to stand up and to do no evil and to continue to go forward in all that God has asked us to do. And again in chapter 4, he starts the scene for us around the fact that we are to stand strong in suffering. You know, it's really, really hard in life sometimes. There are some really challenging things that we each step into. And if it were up to me, I would probably choose not to go through challenge. If there was a, if there was a switch you could flick to say yes or no, I'd be like, no problem. That's great sufferings there, but I don't really kind of want to engage with that. But what Peter is actually calling us to do within all of this is to be like Jesus, to have the same attitude that Jesus had. And what was that attitude that Jesus had? The response was, not my will, but your will be done, Father. And that kind of response actually takes deep obedience. It's not easy or pretty at times to be a follower of Christ, but we actually have the great opportunity and the invitation to step in and be like Jesus in the midst of suffering. In Hebrews 4, it actually really talks about the fact that Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be tempted and trialed. He knows exactly what it's like to feel as though the world was on his shoulders. But what he chose to do was to remain faithful in all of it and to be deeply committed to all that God had asked of him. It's a pretty powerful way to start chapter four, hey? Yeah. And then we kind of step into this next kind of part of it where he actually talks to us about an exchange. And I really believe throughout all of the Bible narrative that it's really about this deep desire for us to exchange the old for the new, that once we lived this way and now we live another way. You see, we used to live a life that was far away from God. We were full of sin. There was no hope. You know that classic Ephesians 2 verse, you were dead in your sin? I've always remembered that because I always thought, man, I'm deep, dark, like dead, like there's no getting up. But because of Jesus and because of the salvation that I have received and that you have received through him, that we're actually able to be called to a different way of living. You see, Peter actually lists all of the sins that we are to run from. 
And in, and in essence, this whole passage is around that exchange for us. And in an exchange, it actually causes us to live in great obedience, to leave the old and to continue in the new. Um, in my work world of mental health, we often talk lots about this idea called a dialectic. I don't know if anyone's ever heard kind of that before, but it's where you have these two opposing ideas that coexist. So we have um, my classic example, and because all the young people are here, I'm just going to use it again tonight. The classic example around phone use. On one hand, mum and dad's got an idea that we're going to turn our phones off, we're going to turn the Wi-Fi off, it's going to go in a basket when we're not at dinner time. Anyone's parents do that? No, you've got to turn it on silent or anything. No one's looking at me. They're all giving me, they're all looking down or looking up. I know, I know what that means. <laughs> and then on the other hand, we've got what, what young people want. You, you don't want to give up. I can even see you holding your phone there. You don't want to give it up. It's, it's what we want. If mum and dad, you take, off my, take away my phone, that's it. I don't have anything else in life to live for. We have these two opposing ideas that actually coexist in one. Yeah? Yeah. That's a dialectic. And every single time I use that example with parents and with schools and with young people, I am always, 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 always reminded of my own dialectic that I live in my own life where I've got sin on one hand and the way of following Jesus on the other. And there's always a challenge in between. Now, we, we, we've given this two goes this morning and so I think we're going to get there now. But I find it so amazing that our great God is so aware of dialectics that even Paul struggled with it. So if we have a little look at Romans 7, this is what it says. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but I hate what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who do it, but it is the sin that is living in me. For I know that no good itself does not dwell in me, that it is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that is living in me that does it. Man, I could have done that better, Paul. I could have just said, I don't do what I should do, and I do what I should do. Yep, there you go. That's exactly what it comes down to. But it is in my sin, and that's what Peter was encouraging us to do, to turn away from our sin and to turn towards Jesus. And this whole narrative is throughout the Word of God that this is what we are to do. This is a call to obedience. It is turning from our sin daily and turning towards our great God. Throughout this whole year, um, I've actually been praying that God would reveal um, the sin in my life to me. And like I said this morning, I wouldn't recommend praying that unless you really want to know uh, where the gaps in your life are. It's, um, it's been so overwhelming at times because I just thought I'd go to sleep one night, the night that I prayed the prayer, and I'd wake up in the morning and all those sins and those wrong things that I did day to day, I'd just know them in the morning and not do them anymore. But the way that our gracious God has kind of worked with me around these things is that every time that I'm doing something that maybe I shouldn't be doing or a thought that I have thought or something that I've said, 
I get this quickening from the Holy Spirit where it's like, come on, Mel, that's the spot. That's the part where I want you to give to me and turn from your sin. That's it right there. And look, sometimes I'm really, really good at it and other times I'm not. But it's this daily obedience that I've got to choose to do that when, I'm, when I've been shown what it is to then turn from it and try again. You see... Throughout this passage again, Peter then points us to the fact that one day each of us will need to give an account for our lives. And that's a really, really sobering thought. And I understand that at times it can be really, really challenging when we're finding things really difficult. But I want to encourage you guys tonight that if there is something that our great God is kind of calling you to, that he's showing you around those different things, those dialectics within your life, for you to be able to bring that to him as you choose daily obedience. Then we come to the access, or I guess the main access of the passage that I really think that where it's like Peter's kind of grabbing us on the shoulders and looking us in the eye and kind of saying to us, this is the main point. This is what I want you to kind of understand. It says, the end of all things is near, so therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other dearly because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. You see, what is holiness divorced from God's love? It's rule following as it's at its best and it's legalism at its worst. What is submission apart from God's love? It's manipulation and fear. It's the ugly counterpoint counterpart to dominance. What is suffering without God's love? It's unnecessary pain. What is leadership away from love? It's a dictatorship. What is service apart from love? It is my own needs before others. You see, love is the linchpin that holds everything together. And that's what Peter has encouraged us and is calling us to step into as followers of Christ. That is why he says, above all, love each other deeply, for love covers a multitude of sins. But what does that love look like? So often in our world today, we hear that word that love is the answer and love is the way and everyone is for love. But I really don't think that that kind of love that people in our world who don't yet know Jesus has actually got it right in there. They don't actually understand the deep truth of what love really is. You see, I believe in which the love that Jesus asks us involves us to continue to love when others have stopped. To let our love grow so much that it drowns out sin, hurt and hate. It is to be generous without complaining and gracious without resentment. This kind of love is action, it is not passive. It is sacrificial and it seeks others' needs above our own. The message version puts it so lovely where it says up there that most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it because love makes up for practically everything. I need to love as if my life depended on it and you too need to love as if your life depended on it. 
In Romans 12, you know when it talks about that we are to, uh, you know, be renewed by the renewing of our mind and not kind of step into being a part of the culture. In verse 9, it actually starts again to almost mirror these verses here in 1 Peter where he starts off by saying, Paul says, love from the centre of who you are. Since that we're already kind of uh, looking a little bit at what Eugene Peterson said, he wrote this in one of his books where he says, Every day I put love on the line. There is nothing that I am less good at than love. Yet I decide every day to set aside what I can do my best and attempt what I do very clumsily, to open myself to the frustration and failures of loving, daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. Even in our frailty, And even in our flawed nature of being able to love, we still again have an invitation to step into being like Jesus, to having the same attitude as Christ, to do what He has done for us. You know, sometimes I really forget what Jesus has done for me. And it's not an intentional thing. I really don't think that it's, you know, I know God knows it's not intentional. You know, when I get my coffee in the morning, I'm not like thinking of Him. But... If I really was to take a minute to be able to think about what our great God has done for us, it actually overwhelms me a little. You see, he came to earth as a baby and he grew up in a family. He learnt a trade and he built relationships with people. He went into ministry to point people to Father. He was then betrayed, scorned and treated horrifically and died on a cross. Was dead and then was raised to life on the third day to pay the price for my sin, for your sin, to make a way for us to have a relationship with God the Father, God the Son and the Holy Spirit. If I and you were truly to love as if our lives depended on it, just like Jesus did, I'd certainly be able to forgive much quicker than I do now. I would definitely seek to place others' needs above my own. I would call out injustice and walk alongside those who are hurting really well. I would see people just as my Jesus did, as his created beloved, whom I have daily chosen to love. Please hear me tonight when I speak to you about this, that this isn't a to-do list, another thing to add to what, how and when you're supposed to live your life. But it's actually an invitation to obedience to the life that we have been called to live. You see, our gracious God is so kind and it's this invitation that we hold tonight and that we're actually able to see how we can be more like Jesus because ultimately that's what it's all about. It's not about anything else than other than being like Him so that others who don't yet know Him can look at us and say, what's different? What's the change? And then in this really kind of last little part of the the passage that we're looking at tonight, Peter is encouraging each and every one of us to use all of our gifts to contribute to the kingdom of God. Again, this is another obedient step that we can actually have and be aware of, that we can step into His kingdom coming here on earth. Obedience and service go hand in hand. And the hard thing about obedience and actually the hard thing about serving is that it's sacrificial. It costs us something to do what we do. We have so many places amongst our church community and across our campuses of where you could actually be a part of serving in the kingdom of God. 
And this is the part where this morning where I did do a plug for Kids Connection. But unfortunately, my plug wasn't very gracious because it was all about, please do it so I can step off team. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's something, um, you've been in, in a thing very, very long when like, um, you know, kids getting married and, you know, like, all those things. it's probably the time for, you know, for Mel to step out. But um, you might want to serve in kids. It's a really good opportunity. It's a lovely thing, you know. Ten years ago when we were doing it at Kinkumba High, you had to push the boxes up and push the boxes down. Remember that? And you'd like, don't get out of the way fast enough. It's going to kick you in the back. Oh, the worst. Thank the Lord for this. Honestly, honestly, thank the Lord for the greenhouse and, and this land. Like, this is a miracle, this place. Yep, yep. You just, yeah, you try to push the kids' connection stuff at King Cumber High when it's raining. Oh, the worst. Um, sorry. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have done it for a third time. <laughs> oh, man. Kids' connection might be where you want to serve. Youth ministry might be where you want to serve. Um, we're kicking off men's ministry again. Woo. Yep, I won't be serving there, but um, if you're a bloke and you'd like to serve there, go for it. Um, But wherever it is, maybe tonight is the time where you can actually think about where you do want to serve. Young people, you are incredible. You are my most favourite thing in life. You are not our problems, you are our provision. Yeah? And so if you feel that there's somewhere that you want to serve within our church community, then please come and talk to one of the pastors or one of the leaders because what you can bring is something pretty spectacular. And we don't mind where you want to serve. And if you need help talking to your mum and dad, grab one of us because it's all about doing it together and we want to make sure it can work for you and work for your family, okay? And anyone else, I'm sure that McGuinness and, and, and Candice and Aidan can let you know anywhere else we might need it. But I do know that Kids Church, we do need adults. So um, talk to Nick. Hmm. All right. So my encouragement tonight as we do close, is that you won't be discouraged about where you are and how far we've got to go. But you would actually be enthused to know that you have been given an invitation to step into what our great God has called us to do. One of my favourite, favourite people um, is C.S. Lewis. And I absolutely love this. It says, If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. The thing is Jesus. He is the one who we love and who we desire to be. Our obedience and love for Him enables us to seek Him in all that we do. So let's get as close as we can to Him so that he can be given the glory and the honour forever. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and we just thank you for who you are. Jesus, there is nothing more in our lives than we want than to be more and more like you. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that for us as a community, that you would be speaking to us in regards to what you would have us to do. If it's around obedience, Lord, I pray that you would give us courage to step into it. 
Lord God, if it's around getting close to you in our suffering, if it's around turning from our sin and walking towards you, if it's around loving others, Lord Jesus, or if it's around where we can actually contribute to see your kingdom come here, I ask, Lord God, that you would be speaking to us so deeply. Thank you for your love, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. And I ask that right now that we would have a deep and new revelation of who you are and what you've done. In your name, Jesus, amen.